So we have been uh, in a series called Proverbs, and uh, it's been a collaborative series where I've been working with some of the other pastors in, in the county to put this whole thing together. And, and this morning, we're going to be actually wrapping up the whole deal, and the next week, starting into a new series that's probably going to go most of the summer, is called summer called Taboo, and we're going to be just looking at topics that you wouldn't typically talk about in church on a Sunday morning, and just kind of wading into what Scripture has to say. But Proverbs is a book that is smack dab in the middle of the Bible. If you were to just throw open your Bible, go right in the middle, chances are that you're going to land in Proverbs. Proverbs was written by a guy named King Solomon. He was inspired by God to put all these little sayings, these little Proverbs, sayings on wisdom, all compiled into this, this one book. And as we've been seeing over the last few weeks, there has been a lot of themes that have kind of come up as we've been going through this. Themes like humility. Um, themes like uh, just hard work, uh, teachability, learning, all those kinds of things, generosity, self-control. But something else that you'll notice is that a lot of these themes, these bits of wisdom in the books, book of Proverbs, they're all kind of framed as, as conflicts, one thing against another thing. You got this, the whole book of Proverbs is like this conflict between wisdom on this side and folly or, or foolishness on this side the right way to live, and the wrong way to live. And so these conflicts are in the book of Proverbs, and this morning they're all in your outline. They're, these conflicts are one thing versus another thing. And this simple equation of this versus that is really an equation that you see all throughout life. You got Apple versus PC. Do we have any Apple fans this morning? Oh, any PC fans? Okay, Commodore 64 fans out there this morning? No, okay. But conflicts, this versus that. You got Pepsi versus Coke. You got liberal versus conservative. You got Warriors versus Cavaliers. You got McDonald's versus Sonic. This versus that. And in the book of Proverbs, this simple equation of this versus that is uh, it's all over the place. By the way, are any of the students in the room excited to be out of school? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Right. Yeah, that's me right out there. Yeah. Awesome. Um, we're daily faced, though, with this choice. Are we going to embrace wisdom or not? And, and nowhere in the Bible are you going to see these two choices presented more clearly than you're going to see in the book of Proverbs. It's everywhere. And so this morning, what we're going to do is kind of going to be a hodgepodge, like just going to throw them a bunch of Proverbs together, talk a little bit about each one, and then at the very end, we're going to tie it all back, back together. First proverb we're going to look at is found in Proverbs 28. It says this, the wicked flee though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. So the wicked flee, but no one's pursuing, which raises the question, why in the world is this person fleeing if nobody's pursuing? It's not like they're out on a, little, uh, a jog trying to get some exercise. No, they are fleeing. And the reason they're fleeing is because they're guilty, always paranoid. No one's chasing them, but they're on the run from something, on the run from guilt, on the run from shame, on the run from God. The contrast that, that Scripture paints is very stark. You got paranoid versus poise. So on the flip side of this, this proverb uh, is this picture of the righteous being as bold as a lion. Over here, this person fleeing, paranoid. Over here, the righteous being as bold as a lion. Is a lion. Now, I've never actually seen a, a lion in the wild, but I have been around um, lions in the zoo, which I know doesn't really count, but lions in the zoo, 
And it, but I have seen very large, strong animals in the wild. I've seen moose. So I used to live in northern BC. I've actually had a stare down with a thousand pound bull moose that was about 50 feet away. And, and I've seen a lot of bears in the wild. Now, as a, so this is going to kind of give away a little bit of my redneck roots, but I grew up in really small towns, and we were hundreds of miles away from the zoo, and so whenever my parents wanted to give us a little bit of a zoo experience, we would go see the bears at the garbage dump, because where I grew up, there was bears at the garbage dump. I'm really curious, did anybody else, did your parents take me see the bears at the garbage dump? Yeah, right on, you know what I'm talking about. And so... You, we'd see these, these animals, and one thing, though, that you'll, if you've ever been face-to-face with a very large, strong animal, there's something that, that all of them kind of have that's the, that's the same. They'll look at humans with this, kind of this amused confidence. It's like they're thinking, um, hello there, small creature. What are you doing here in my neck of the woods? Come any closer? I might rip a limb, limb off. Keep your distance kind of thing. They got this amused, kind of silent confidence like, hey, I'm big, you're little, there's nothing that you're going to do to hurt me. And they got this boldness. And uh, it's kind of funny, actually, my cats, house cats, I actually don't claim them as my own house cats, they're my family's house cats, because I'm not a big cat fan. But they kind of have this same sort of amused look on their face, which with cats is not really boldness, it's cockiness. You're really small, I'm really big. You keep looking at me like that. I might throw you in the bathtub kind of look. But anyways, <laughs> um, they've got this quiet boldness. And sorry, I just offended all the cat lovers in the room. They are nice. We, got, we actually had um, two cats, and somehow we ended up with, we got five cats right now. So they're just running all over the place. But anyways, lions, they're not intimidated. They don't run. They're not afraid of anyone. They're bold and confident. And scripture says that this is the, the same posture as, as the righteous. They are, they're, they're not constantly on the run from fear. They're not constantly on the run from guilt and shame. But instead, they stand firm, rooted in who God says that they are. And they're not perfect. They know it. They know that they've made lots of mistakes. They know that they're going to keep making mistakes. But that doesn't change their posture because they know that their dad in heaven, the one who scripture describes as the Lion of Judah, they know that he loves them like crazy. They know that their sin and their mistakes, that's not going to change that love. They know that in the same way that there's nothing they could do to make God love them more, there's nothing that they could do to make God love them less. And they know that they've done nothing to deserve, to deserve this love and that Christ has done everything through his finished work on the cross. And this knowledge, when you have this knowledge, this understanding deep down in your soul, it gives you the confidence of a lion, not paranoid, poised. And I'd be willing to guess that there's some of you here in this room today, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, but you still find you're paranoid inside. You're running from the past, um, trying to hide your, your sin and mistakes, never opening up with anyone about what's going on deep down inside here never letting anyone get close enough to really love you and serve you and care for you, speak into your life. And the reason is because you're paranoid. You're afraid of just being found out. And you've got to understand something this morning. Scripture says that you've got a reason to stand confident and poised like a lion. 
And that reason isn't because you've gone out and you've done so many good things. It's because of who you are in Christ. It's because of the righteousness that comes from being found in Christ. He's in, in how he sees you. He sees you, Scripture says, as being a royal priesthood, your royalty, your chosen, your new creation, your child of God's, like we sung about this morning. We could go on and on about who, how, how God sees you. And when you understand all this, you can just rest in who you are. You can be okay with others knowing the real you with all your, your weaknesses and imperfections. And, and your poise won't come from how great you are. It will come from how great he is and how he sees you. And this will, in turn, enable you to be bold, to be bold enough to be who you are, to be bold enough to go out and, and get on mission with Jesus, to speak truth, love others. You're no longer paranoid. And we could honestly stay on this one point all morning, but, but we're going to move on. Proverbs 28, 13, it says this. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So we see this, this tension, this tough choice here when it comes to sin. You've got conceal versus confess. And if you're anything like me, the, the, you don't want the worst part of you to be out there. You would just way rather keep that private. You'd way rather keep that hidden. But Scripture makes it so clear that that we're, it's when we confess our sins to one another, not just confess our sins to God, but confess our sins to one another, that's where we begin to find, find healing. And that is tough. Who wants to do that? Nobody. I don't know anybody that enjoys confessing their mistakes and their sin to one another, but when you do that, what you do is you suck the life out of that sin as it becomes exposed, and then Satan can't use that secret once it's in the light. Next point. Proverbs says this, whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. And this whole theme of correction and rebuke is a biggie in the book of Proverbs. Um, we've touched on it in this series, but God keeps, in the book of Proverbs, he comes back to it again and again and again. So we're going to come back to it again one more time this morning. And like confession, I personally do not like receiving correction. I don't like to have, have to admit that, that I'm wrong. I don't like it when a friend comes and provides a sharp rebuke. Um, I don't know if there's anybody out there that actually enjoys being corrected, being rebuked. Um, I can't think of one time in my life where I actually enjoyed it. You, just, it's, you don't enjoy that kind of thing. But when a friend, someone that loves you and cares about you, comes to you and corrects or rebukes, we'd be wise to remember that verse that we, we talked about last week. It says this in Proverbs, wounds from a friend can be trusted. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. When a friend comes and lovingly provides rebuke, correction, the relationship is tested in many, many ways, but Scripture says that the wounds of a friend um, can be trusted. You've got the two choices. You've got resistance on this hand versus receptivity on this hand. Am I going to be open to the thought that I might be wrong? Or am I just going to be consumed with being right? Am I going to be just stubborn or stiff-necked, as the Bible says? That picture of being stiff-necked, I read through that, I'm like, that's kind of a weird, weird phrase. I wonder where that came from. Well, it turns out that way back in the day, um, 
ancient Jews, they knew a lot about what it meant to be stiff-necked because uh, it was a, a term that was used by farmers. Farmers would, would begin ready to plow their fields, and they'd have the plow, and then they'd hook it up to a couple of oxen, maybe one oxen out here in front. And then the farmer would have this long pole called an ox goad. And on the end of this ox goad was this, this little spike. And so if the farmer wanted the oxen to move forward, he'd grab that ox goad and he'd kind of prod it on the back and it would move forward. If the farmer wanted the oxen to turn to the left or to the right, he'd get that ox goad and he would, he would kind of poke them a little bit on the neck. Now, if an oxen, though, was stubborn, if an oxen didn't want to change course, if an oxen just wanted to keep going in the same direction, it would just kind of get its neck stiff, and it would just keep plowing straight forward. It'd be like, I'm not moving one little bit. I've been going this direction my whole life. I know about, I know about where I'm going better than you do, Mr. Farmer, and so I'm just going to keep going this way. Besides, you poking me on the neck does not feel very good. I'm a little upset that you're poking me with your ox goad, so I'm just going to keep going this direction to show my displeasure with what you're doing. The Bible says that wounds from a friend can be trusted. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. And the way in which you receive loving, relationally driven correction, and that's huge, that phrase, because there's relationally driven correction and then there's non-relationally driven correction. You know, like you maybe accidentally go a little in the other lane while you're driving and someone gives you the finger. That's not relationally driven correction, okay? There's relationally driven and then there's non-relationally driven, but how you respond to relationally driven correction is a great barometer on your level of wisdom because the wise embrace correction, Scripture says. They have loose shoulders and a relaxed neck. Another proverb, evildoers are, ens- are snared by their own sin, but the righteous one can sing and be glad. You have this huge contrast here. Ensnared, captive to sin, all the hopelessness, all the despair, everything that goes along with that being ensnared. Then on the other hand, you got this person that's just light. They're free and they're singing. They're full of joy, full of gladness. And if you've ever been snared by sin, you know that it stinks. It's a rotten place to be in. I've shared uh, with, with you the battles that I've had in the past with gambling. Um, gambling in my books is not a sin. But the greed and the love for money and the, the propping that up as an idol that quickly falls on the heels of gambling is. And I was captive. And as I was preparing this message, I thought about, I used to sing and play guitar all the time before that gambling addiction happened. And then it just kind of sucked the life out of me and I just didn't play guitar and sing as much afterwards. It's, it's crazy how addiction and sin just sucks the life out of you. And I find for me personally, there's three things that really kind of just kill joy, kill glad- gladness in my heart. Fear is one, worry is another one, and then sin. Being captive to sin, it just, it just squelches the heart, which brings us to our Father in heaven. He loves us too much to let us stay captive, snared by our own sin. And so he'll expose it, he'll make sure our sins do find us out, not because he wants us to be miserable, not because he wants us to be humiliated, but because he wants us to know joy, because he sees us being like a a bird that's trapped in a cage and trying to get out, 
And so he'll do whatever it takes to help us get free of that. But you got a choice when it comes to rebuke and correction. Resistance versus, or sorry, um, being snared versus singing. Trapped versus worship. It's your choice. And then Proverbs says this. We're going to keep going here. It says, fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. Fools have got no throttle. There's just no check. They just explode giving full vent to their rage. And uh, I used to, so I used to, when we were living up in BC, I used to, uh, me, me and Beck used to attend this pastor's camp. And uh, at this pastor's camp, they would always bring in this one guy to just kind of, well, they have a number of different counselors there. But there was this one guy that kind of came every year, and he just had this very unorthodox style of, of counseling. And uh, this one year at camp, uh, this, it, it kind of became known throughout the camp that there was one of the, the pastors had gone into this counseling session, and before he left, he had punched a hole in the wall. And the reason was because this counselor had just said to him at some point, I think you've got an anger problem. And the guy, he's like, no, I don't have an anger problem. Well, this counselor who had this unorthodox style of kind of getting to the root of things said, no, I think you do have an anger problem. No, I don't have an anger problem. I think you do have an anger problem. Back and forth they went until, bam, the guy punched a hole in the wall. And... I'm telling you, us pastors, we've got issues. I mean, right, right across the board. We're jacked right up. But this guy, this, there's this anger that just came up. And when you got to recognize that when it comes to anger, when it comes to the tension that we're all capable of stirring up, we've got a choice. Chaos or calm? Chaos or calm? I have a, a friend, his name is Frank Talbot. He's a pastor on staff over at CTK Bellingham. And I love the way that Frank just de-escalates tension wherever he goes. Frank is the wisest man I, I've ever met. He's also the most interesting man I have ever met. He last week drove to work in a World War II Jeep dressed in a jump, jumpsuit. <laughs> That's Frank. But I, have, I meet with Frank all the time. He's a, a mentor of mine. And one thing that I, I love about Frank is that I can have all kinds of chaos going on inside. I can have all kinds of tension. I could be stressed out of my tree, worried, feeling like a failure, like the world's just caving and crashing in around me, and he doesn't go there with me. Instead, he's got this calm, kind of reassuring voice. He just takes all my tension that's up here and just brings it down to here, and I walk away going, hey, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And you've got the same choice. Chaos versus calm. And next verse is this. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Fear of God versus fear of man. When we fear man, we stay quiet. We lower the standard. We mind our own business. We become lukewarm. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to have the hard conversations that we've been talking a lot about in this series. We don't want to share God's wisdom because of what people might say or do to us. Fear of God, though, it means that I, I don't have to have people's approval because I know how God sees me. I, I know that, that I've got his approval, the one whose approval matters the most. And, and we got to ask ourselves a question. Am I more concerned about my popularity with people, about how they see me, or about how God sees me? What am I more concerned with? And, and Proverbs says that it's the fear of the Lord 
that is the beginning of wisdom. Am I going to fear man or am I going to have a fear of the Lord? Now, we've got this picture of a certain kind of individual this morning. We've, we've talked about calm versus chaos, resistance versus receptivity. And, and what I want to do in the last little bit here is have you picture for a few moments this person who just embodies all these Proverbs. A person who's poised, confident, receptive to correction, a lightness about them. They're, they're singing God's praise, calm in the, in the most chaotic circumstances, rightfully fearing God more than people. Do you have... Picture that person. Do you have that person in your head? Let me ask you the question. Does the picture of, that you have in your head of this person, does that picture reflect you? Does it reflect you all the time? And if we're honest this morning, we got to say no. That is not an accurate reflection of me all the time. Yes, there are times I'm like that, but, but it is not a picture of me all the time. And one thing that you, you might have noticed, and if you've been with us in this series, you might have noticed about God is how he keeps coming back to these areas in our life where we're not living wisely, but we're living foolishly. He keeps coming back, and he keeps bringing them back up, correcting, rebuking, exposing sin, exposing weakness. He keeps bringing them back up. And, and why does he do that? Have you ever stopped and wondered, okay, why does God keep pressing? Like, God, enough already. Just, just let me go and do life the way I want to do life. What? But he keeps refining us. He keeps sharpening us, molding our hearts. And if you've ever wondered why he does that, wisdom has the answer for that. And it's in Proverbs 29. It says this, discipline your children and they will give you peace. They will bring you the, the, the delights that you desire. And in the same way, that God asks parents to discipline the children that they love, God disciplines the children that he loves. He loves us. He cares about us. And, and Scripture talks about how two things happen when you discipline your children. They give you peace, and they bring you delight. They give you peace and delight. Now, some parents think that if, if they don't discipline their kids, they're gonna, that's, that's how you get peace, but it's not true. Refusing to discipline your kids will wind you up in the middle of Walmart with a kid kicking and screaming in the aisle because they can't have that new Barbie doll. You know what I'm saying? That's not peace. That's chaos. But, but when you discipline your kids, they bring you peace and they bring you um, delight. And all these other proverbs that we talked about this morning, they're all a contrast, a contest between this versus that. But this last proverb is, is what happens when God disciplines and corrects, and if we apply his wisdom to our lives, we bring delight to our Father, and we see that discipline equals delight. Discipline equals delight. And as, as a child of God, do you want to bring delight to your Heavenly Father? And you know who brings delight to their Heavenly Father? You know, you know what's going to make you want to bring delight to your Heavenly Father? The only way that you're going to want to bring the light to your Heavenly Father is if you, first of all, are delighted in your Heavenly Father. Did you catch that? If you're not delighted in your Heavenly Father, you'll have no interest in bringing Him to light. Yesterday, I had an interesting experience. Um, 
I just, for whatever reason, I just decided I was going to read through the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a small book in the Bible that follows right after Proverbs. And I'm just kind of curious, because Ecclesiastes was written by the same guy that wrote most of uh, Proverbs. King Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes. King Solomon, the wisest guy in history. And so I was kind of curious what this next book would say. And I came across this line that kind of threw me for a little bit. Solomon wrote this in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes. He says, with much wisdom comes much sorrow. And then he talks about how it's like a chasing after the wind, pursuing wisdom, living wisely. It's like he's saying it's meaningless. And I'm like, what? This guy just wrote all that stuff, and now he's saying with much wisdom comes much sorrow? And I'll, I'll tell you what, what, what was the difference with Solomon. You can have all the wisdom in the world and still live very foolishly. Solomon, the, the thing that made the difference is I don't think that Solomon delighted in God. In fact, if you were to read through the book of Ecclesiastes, at one point you're going to hear Solomon talk about, he, he describes God in these terms. He says, you are God in heaven, and here am I on earth. And he's, he's describing this, there's this distance here between him and God. You don't see the same language that you see in, in King Solomon's dad, David, where David in, in Psalms wrote about how he's like a deer hung, panting for the water. He's hungry and thirsty for God, and he talks over and over again about how he loves God and he delights in God. You don't see Solomon describing his relationship with God in the same terms that Moses did. Moses said that his relationship with God was like a friend to friend, talking face to face. You don't see that with Solomon. And so if you want to be someone who, who wants to delight your Heavenly Father, it starts with being someone who is delighted in your Heavenly Father. Which brings us back to, it, it's, it all comes down to loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I would just ask as we close out this series, if you could ask yourself a question, where am I at? Do, am I delighting in my Heavenly Father? Am I delighting in Jesus? Am I, I just, I want to make him happy. I'm like, a, I'm like a child. I know that my heavenly father loves me, and so because I know he loves me, yes, his discipline is tough sometimes. Yes, his correction doesn't feel good sometimes. Yes, it doesn't sometimes feel good when he just keeps pressing in on my sin and on my weakness. But at the end of the day, I know he loves me. I delight in him, and I'm going to follow him wherever he leads be a person that's like that, delighting in your Heavenly Father, and you will want to live wisely, and you'll want to you'll bring Him delight. You'll want to bring Him joy. Let's close this morning in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this last several weeks going through this, this, this amazing book in the Bible. And Father, I want to pray for all of us, Jesus, as we just wrap up this series, that Jesus, you would help us to just delight in you, to just get just be people that find joy in our Father in heaven. Lord, you said in your word that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But, but Jesus, uh, we just can see that, Lord, that, that's the beginning. But Jesus, what, what carries us through and what keeps us on track, Jesus, is, is loving you enough to want to follow you and obey you no matter where it is that you lead, no matter what it is that you're asking us to change, asking us to surrender, asking us to give up. So, Jesus, I just want to pray that you give all of us, just stir within us a love for you, Jesus, where passion for you has grown, grown cold, where passion for you has faded, 
I pray, Lord, that you would here now in this moment begin to just cause that flame to burn brightly once again. And Lord, I just want to take some time just, just to pray for any here this morning that are going through a difficult circumstance in life. Lord, I know there are, Lord, there's several people, several families in our church family that are just are going through it right now in life. And Father, we just want to, we just want to bear their burdens this morning, Jesus, and lift them up to you and pray that, Lord, that you would intervene, that, Jesus, you would bring comfort where comfort is needed, that, Jesus, you would bring direction where direction is needed, that, God, where faith is weak, that, Jesus, you would cause faith to be made strong. And, Father, we just thank you for all this, and we pray it all in your good name, Jesus. Amen.